0: Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves.
1: Yeah, I studied this. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. With me, your host, Silas Martin, and my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. How's it going, Christian? How did you enjoy this weekend's pay-per-view?
0: I thought it was a 7 out of 10.
1: I think that's pretty much fair. We're going to spend the bulk of today's episode just recapping all of the action from UFC 271. A lot of stuff happened, a lot of interesting fights and meaningful results, and next week's card was going to be Uh, A very interesting fight that I was excited to talk about, Rafael Fazeev versus Rafael Dos Anjos, but due to visa issues, that's been put back to UFC 272, I believe, and the main event for that is now Jamal Hill versus Johnny Walker, and the rest of the card is about that good as well, so we're just going to talk about a few fights at the end of the card and focus on UFC 271, Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker, the rematch, and Robert Whitaker gets completely robbed, did everything he should have done to win, and there's absolutely no case that Israel should have... No, I mean, like, really, it was It was kind of a pretty close fight. Rob made a lot of the adjustments that we were talking about, but this fight really reminded me of uh, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno 3, where I think it was actually an incredibly close fight, but it's hard to make a case for the guy who lost because... Um, the guy who ended up taking the fight on the judges' scorecards spent a lot of time uh, moving forward and low-kicking and got all of the big moments of visible damage. So, I mean, yeah, uh, Robert Whitaker did a lot of the stuff we talked about. Um, most notably, the big thing that was going around, taking smaller victories in the exchanges. He was a lot happier to just land his jab and try and rack up volume off of that. But Was afraid, seemed to be afraid to follow up and get into those exchanges because, of course, that's how he got knocked out in the first fight. And just, um, he was put off of low kicking with Israel Adesanya pretty early and he would almost never follow up with body shots as Israel Adesanya is just trying to lean out of the range of head strikes. And Israel Adesanya's defensive wrestling looked pretty fantastic. Like, Rob's strongest takedown entries are all like upper, upper body stuff. Israel Adesanya is really long lanky dude with a a turn of leverage makes it very hard to get those kind of takedowns on him so um i scored the fight for israel adesanya despite really wanting robert Whitaker to win but at the same time i kind of don't think israel adesanya made the margins clear enough in those middle rounds that he could have been absolutely furious if the decision had gone the other way and that gives me some cause for concern for his championship reign moving forward I mean, what do you think about the adjustments that both of them made and what they could have done to make the fight clearer for either of them?
0: I think if Rob, I think he took two of victories. He was willing to just land a jab and then get low kicked like, you know, 10 seconds later after the exchange. So he would win individual exchanges and then just overall still be losing the round because he was getting low low kicked a lot. Uh, I think Adesanya could have, of course, gone to the low kick more. But also just press his advantages with getting Rob pushed back a lot because he was not having much trouble making Rob move backwards. And he, he could have tried to replicate what he got done in the first round, where he, he knocked down Rob when he got his back to the fence and then got him fainting on a or got him biting on a kick faint. I, I th- thought Adesanya did enough to make the fight clear enough to where it would be a robbery if he lost, but it was also like morally he couldn't be too upset because he didn't really do that much he wasn't going out there and sparking him every round and then being like, cool, I knocked him down. Let me win the round. He, he was just kicking him in the leg and clearly winning on optics, but it was similar to the, the Yoel fight where you know if your only damage is low kicks, you can't be relying on that for a, a decision in MMA. In MMA. I, I thought that Rob could have really just came in with a better plan for what to do if he actually got Izzy into grappling situations because Rob's not a guy that's going to be able to submit Izzy and he wasn't able to lock down a control position long enough to actually get grounded pound off aside from the first takedown that he got. And then Izzy just got back up after Rob landed like four pitter-patter right hands. I I think that Adesanya did really good with the takedown defense. He, his positioning was very good throughout the entire fight. He was very urgent about the denying takedown entries. I thought Izzy looked good, but not great. And I thought Rob looked pretty good. I I thought it was one of his better performances, but it just wasn't enough. And it was also just strategically a little silly. Cause you know, if you like, he's expecting to win a decision off of like 2005 wrestling, (laughs) like you, you take a guy down once a round, and then you just get the round. It felt like he thought he was going to get.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Rob could have made this fight a lot closer to uh, getting a clear win. Not even factor in the wrestling if he had just been able to build a little more offense off of his jab because he would barely follow up with his right hand. He started getting a few left hooks in towards the end of the fight, arguably what took him the fifth fifth round, uh, as well as the fact that he started um, striking in transitions more. And he just... He was dissuaded so quickly from just competing in the low-kicking battle from Izzy as soon as Izzy had picked a couple off and taken Rob out of stance with a couple of big low-kicks. So still definitely room for improvement from both guys. I don't particularly see any of them losing any time soon at middleweight. So I think a third fight is not out of the question at some point. And I really have no idea what that would look like at this point. We need to see how both of these guys are are, are going to be addressing other matchups in the division moving forward. But anyway, we said the Kimei main event was where the real party was. And holy shit, Muang Tai Tuivasa channeled the elbow of a thousand stitches and knocked Derek Lewis the fuck out, face planted him with a brutal clinch elbow in a fight where uh, Tai Tuivasa stuck to a game plan and had to go through some adversity. So uh, he's basically the best heavyweight in the world. Uh, Christian,
0: what did you think about this fight? I thought it was actually kind of strategically brilliant by both in a weird way. Because, you know, Derek Lewis has always been a ground and pound guy even though he prefers to be a striker. So him getting a takedown was, it was really smart. That threw Ty off his game completely. Even Ty himself said he wasn't expecting to get taken down.
1: And the shots that Ty had to eat when he was standing up along the cage were absolutely terrifying.
0: Yeah, it was basically like exactly what he knocked out uh, Dawkus with, or what Lewis knocked out Dawkins with. And Ty Tuivasa just ate it and then got up and started exchanging really wildly because that's what you got to do whenever Derek Lewis is trying to kill you. You got to fight back or else he'll just kill you. And then Ty was doing good to smother him in the clinch and not really let him get too much offense off early in the fight. He started out the fight throwing nice low kicks. Uh, and then as the second round progressed, it, the fight kind of just became chaos, and they started exchanging. And then Ty Tuivasa landed something good. I don't remember what it was uh, prior to the elbow, but then when he got Lewis to the fence, he crushed him with the elbow and then Lewis fell down like a Family Guy character, some people are mentioning.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a true passing of the torch fight where Taituivasa, Vassar, Derek Lewis to Derek Lewis, and baited him into an exchange by making Derek Lewis think he was more hurt than he was, but Taituivasa Ivasa can stay composed in the pocket and he can time a counter combination off of the back foot. You know who can't do that? Cyril Garn. Like, Tai Tuivasa may not be, like, the platonic ideal of what a technical fighter looks like, but you can stick to a game plan, You can stick to a healthy diet of jabs, feints, and low kicks, and he can push people into the cage and cut them off as they try to circle out. I would pick him to knock out Cyril Garn. I love you, Tai Ivasa, I will die for you.
0: Yeah, Tai Ivasa is the greatest fighter in the UFC currently. He should be put to the top of the pound-for-pound rankings. Uh, he would beat Peter Yan.
1: Yeah, and there was there was even a moment in this in the in the first round of this fight where they're clinching up on the cage, and you know with, with with every fight where you're like, oh my god, these guys are insane. How could this fight possibly be boring? There's always that lingering possibility that the fight just sucks and nothing happens. And while they were clinching on the cage, there was it was a moment where I was like, oh no, no. But the, this fight delivered on everything we wanted it to be. So then, on the subject of people called Derek getting fucking starched with elbows, uh, the Cannon Man, Jared Cannoneer, um, turns out he has gotten better at wrestling. Is not just insanely physically strong for the division. Definitely helps, but um, said would be entirely possible. Derek Brunson had a pretty good first round. Uh, got some takedowns. Actually dropped Jared Cannoneer, but Cannoneer is his. Um, increasing sense of urgency to work to his feet along the cage whenever he gets taken down to just win scrambles before he gets put into dominant positions and his just insane physical strength for a middleweight. Derek Brunson just couldn't sustain the game plan that he needed to win all three rounds and uh, had to spend just tons of time in striking range with a much cleaner power puncher with more ideas about how to find openings um, Derek Brunson, he's clearly put a ton of effort into making his striking more functional, but he still will just enter with his face way out in front of him and his feet behind him. Jared Cannonier ends up cracking him with an elbow off of a clinch break and then a fucking pimp backhand before getting him to the ground and just smashing him with disgusting elbows from side control. So looking like Jared Cannonier probably going to be the next title contender at middleweight. Do you have anything to say about this one, Christian?
0: I thought it was pretty neat that Brunson got a knockdown in the first round. It it seemed like the fight was kinda going his way, but with the way that their stamina matches up, it was it it, it kind of felt like it was still a foregone conclusion that Canonier would figure him out even when he got knocked down. Cause he didn't get hurt that badly. He just got dropped and then Brunson tried to go for a runic choke and the round ended. So then once they got back to the feet it was you you could very visibly see that Brunson was tired and Brunson's been getting tired faster and faster as his career's been progressing. So I think it it kind of showed a bit of Brunson's age and also showed a bit of his just difficulty in the matchup flat out. And Canadier may only be like a year younger but he is way closer to his prime than Brunson. Like Canadier looked fantastic. And then he got a, had a great call out for a next title shot. That was cool.
1: Yeah, Jared Cannonier. he does strike me as a dangerously insane individual, but he's got a stage presence, and he's probably the third best middleweight in the world, and
0: could give Israel Adesanya some troubles. I look forward to that matchup if it happens.
1: And so next up on the main card, a fight that ended up a lot higher on the card than when we talked about it last week, because Alex Hernandez... Was very vocal about the pure disrespect of his placement on this card. You know, being a fighter that's gone win loss since he uh, entered the UFC. And uh, Christian, you you picked Alex Hernandez to knock out hanato Moicano because because you're a coward and a dumb bitch, of course. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and hanato Moicano just kind of fucking sunned Alex Hernandez because uh, as a I mean, you, you called out Hernando Morcano's tendency to like, to like to brawl too much for his own good. And something that we hit on like after we'd already recorded the podcast is that actually might be a really good thing for him against Alex Hernandez because he's not just going to give Hernandez his big blitzes for free. Like he's going to extend the exchanges and he's going to hit back in combination. And yeah, Alex Hernandez... He's a privileged-ass white boy that wants everything for free, and if you chase him out the pocket with combinations, he falls apart and becomes absolutely terrified. And then we saw um, the back-take game that has been so much of Anato Moicano's bread and butter to finish the fight in the second round.
0: Yeah, I thought Moicano's shot selection looked pretty fantastic, maybe the best it's ever looked. He was landing really nice uppercuts. He was catching him with pull counters. Uh, he he really did a good job of staying on Hernandez and not letting Hernandez just blitz in and then run away for free. Something that I didn't really anticipate going into the matchup is that Moicano would be larger than Hernandez. It didn't seem like Hernandez actually had the power to put off Moicano, even if he did land. So, you know, in hindsight, I think the matchup is like, it's like 95% of the time Moicano beats the shit out of him. But going into the fight, I was kind of banking on Hernandez having the power to just crack him once and then maybe pursue and get a finish but Waikano's is too good he's simply too good he would not allow that to happen he's just really good and also he's very tough uh, he, he may want to be proving his toughness but he, he doesn't really have to he's tough as hell like he, he ate a few shots to the head in this fight and just kept going in the exchange really put it on Hernandez and then the second it got to the ground it was it was game over for Hernandez
1: yeah so I'd like to see Hanato fight someone like uh, Armin Sayukian, and maybe Brad Riddell. And as for Alex Hernandez, he should fight another can who will easily knock out in the first round. But anyway, opening the main card, we had Bobby Green put on an absolute boxing clinic and then inspired the children. Christian, you take the lead on this
0: one. Okay, Bobby Green gave him just a, a steady supply of jabs and straights to the face. He was doing good switching stances. Nasrat didn't seem to have any ideas of how to get past Bobby's defense. Although he did land a good shot in the first round that cut Bobby. The the pretty much entire dynamic for 15 minutes was just Bobby green landing mostly whenever he decided to throw. And it, it put out a bunch of volume. He was landing constant straights through his guard or through Nasrat's guard. Nazrat didn't really adjust his high guard at all. And we got third round Bobby Green in the first round. He had so much urgency trying to seal each round. And Bobby Green was talking the entire fight. He was saying that Nazrat got him riled up and kind of pissed him off. So you don't want to piss off Bobby Green. He'll put the volume on you. And Bobby Green is a fucking murderer. He'll, he'll fuck you up if you, if you don't have something creative to kind of throw monkey wrench in his plan of just shoulder rolling all of your offense and having consistently good positioning on the outside and just working you with straights.
1: Yeah, Bobby Green, after an incredibly long career of being clearly a very talented fighter with tremendous depth of skill, but just not having the consistency to to get the big fights. I mean, he's basically in his prime. Give him a main event, give him a ranked matchup. He's earned it, and... Uh, as for Nasrat Haqparast, I know I said Alex Hernandez should fight another camp, but actually they should fight each other. Kind of a mirror match, except Nasrat is a lot tougher. I think I'd pick him. <laughs> Andrei Olofsky beat Jared Vandera. Fight wasn't good, but still worth mentioning that Andrei Olofsky is still just doing the damn thing. Like, after all these years and all the times he's been knocked out, still just developing just enough to stay ahead of the competition that he's fighting and unlike Alistair Overeem he didn't start trying to climb the ranks he's just turning up beating these unranked guys getting paid and i fucking respect it
0: golovski put on a classic Arlovsky performance of just jabbing and then circling you don't really have to do anything else if you're Arlo- if you're Arlovsky. <laughs> he has he has a a deep enough tool set to just be like, okay, I'll jab and circle around, and then if shit gets hairy, I'll I'll do some other stuff. But it didn't get hairy, so he just had to keep jabbing him.
1: See, I, I already read a career eulogy for Roxanne Mataferi last week. Uh, we were pretty sure she w- wasn't going to have much of a chance at beating Casey O'Neill, And Casey O'Neil, much to my surprise, just put on something of a sprawl and brawl clinic. I was expecting Casey O'Neill to lean more into her just really violent, high-paced grappling, which is mostly how she's been getting her finishes in the UFC. But she went out there and just kickboxed Modaferi up for three rounds, set striking records for the division, defended all the takedowns. You could see just some of the physical limitations, but also that she's just clearly a very well-schooled fighter fundamentally.
0: Yeah. Casey O'Neill is the new Joanne Calderwood. She put on a, like a substantial boxing clinic despite kind of not having the athleticism to really seal the deal and get a finish. But it's impressive that she was ma- able to manage that pace for 15 minutes against Roxanne Modafferi and deny the grappling because to this point, we had just seen Casey O'Neill is kind of fucky on the feet, but you know, very tough, like obviously very dogged and not going to give up. So actually seeing her just have to strike with someone and kind of remain composed and not push her advantages too much in, in any Particular phase aside from just winning consistently was nice to see. And Roxanne Monteferri was doing her best. She was landing good shots of her own, but she was kind of getting doubled up on strikes every round. Casey O'Neill used her youth very well. She was just as violent as she normally is, but from a different range than we've been seeing typically. She just had a lot of preset combinations and counters that she had obviously set up for Roxanne Monteferri. She was slipping their straights and landing overhands. She was just getting her head out of the way a lot of the time and kind of capitalizing on the fact that Roxanne doesn't really have a very deep striking tool set for landing counters if you have a lot of head movement. So Casey is a good prospect. Not sure what her ceiling is right now. I would like to see her versus someone more athletic of around the same level, but she's ranked. I I think she's pretty good.
1: Yeah, she definitely needs time to develop, but she's got a clear idea of what she's trying to do in every phase of a fight. And she's typically very aggressive and pushes a high pace. And Roxanne Motherfairy, a, a rough one to go out on, but made an okay of account of herself and charming and positive in defeat as always. So good for her getting out when she did. She's too nice for this stupid sport. And she didn't get finished. She did not. That's the important part. One judge even gave it to her, which is completely insane. Uh, Kyler Phillips submitted Marcelo Rojo in the third round. Uh, As we said, Kyler Phillips, just massive speed edge. And Ringcraft is definitely not infallible, but just some ideas about how to outmaneuver someone on the back foot, as well as just uh, having having the wrestling in his back pocket, which he went to much more aggressively than I expected him to. Ended up getting Marcelo Rojo out of there in the third round by, uh, it was a really nice finishing sequence where he used a, a Kimura to secure mount, and then locked up a mounted triangle. And then, as uh, Rojo rolled out and was able to regain top position, and pop out of the triangle, switched it to an armbar, got the tap. Good win for Kyler Phillips. Bit of an IQ test, but yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see him back in there with a bit more of a levels test kind of fight. Maybe just on the fringe of the top fifteen. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I think Kyler's pretty good. He has obvious liabilities in some regards, like his shot selection being wheel kicks as, as like his main weapon it was kind of weird in the matchup. Oh, he threw
1: so many fucking wheel kicks.
0: Yeah, I don't know why he was thinking that that was the ticket to victory, but you know, he, he did wear himself out a little bit, but he didn't gas as much as people were expecting him to if the fight didn't go his way early. And, and the fight was going his way, he just didn't get a finish early. So... I, I thought that he put a good account of himself. He, he's a he's a good fighter. I think he's going to hang around for a long time.
1: So yeah, uh, rough one for Marcelo Rojo, but he's a really fun fighter. He's got some obvious limitations. Um, it really it was an issue for him in this fight in particular that he's he gets a lot of his best offense done in the clinch, but doesn't really have the takedown defense to back that up if you don't agree to just clinch with him. But um, I think there's still just a bunch of fun action fights for him. I think him versus the loser of like Jonathan Martinez versus Alejandro Perez would make a lot of sense. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence versus Mono Martinez was kind of a pretty fun action fight, but a really kind of infuriating one where Ronnie Lawrence really seemed to have pretty much every advantage and From this fight, I assume must have a wrestling base that he's still like developing a striking game on top of, because it seemed like he was dropping Mana Martinez pretty much every time that he committed to throwing combinations, and then would just stay on top and not make much of an effort to finish or let Martinez back up to get more damage off where, where he was actually landing consistently, and then, you know, kind of took his foot off the gas a little bit in the third round and got dropped with a spinning back fist and then like a big right hand as he was trying to get his shit together. Um, was able to get back on top to secure the rest of the round. And to Lawrence's credit, he's clearly a developing fighter who showed some promise and was very frustrated with his performance after the fight. So hopefully this is something that he'll learn from, you know, even in a fight where he won. And Mana Martinez probably should not be in the UFC, to be honest. Uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade against Sergey Morozov, who I... Definitely criminally underrated last week when I described him as some guy who's going to get knocked out by Douglas Silver Dandridge. Um, I just hadn't had the time to really look into his skill set, but he put a beating on DSDA in the first round, was just lancing him with long straight punches, uh, fucking him up in the clinch, getting him down on the ground and landing nasty ground and pound from top, looking like a less developed version of uh, what Peter Yan did to DSDA a few years ago. Um, but Douglas De Silva showed why he's such a tough out and such an underrated fighter in the second round. He just, he bit down, was landing huge left hooks to the body and coming over the top with right hands, ends up getting Morozov on the ground and choking him out unconscious. Crazy comeback win. Probably my favorite like crazy action fight of the year. It it was fucking dope.
0: Yeah, and what added to it being one of the better fights of the year is that Andrade really like worked himself back into the fight with bodywork, which isn't super yeah. common for comebacks. Mostly comebacks in MMA are just a guy getting dropped really hard and then the guy who gets the knockdown swinging that momentum into a win. But he was really attriting him and, and getting uh, Morozov into bad positions and, and kind of walking him into big damage. It was a smart performance.
1: Yeah, that was the cool thing. It wasn't a comeback where he just like was getting tuned up and then just got a random fluke knockout. Like he really made the adjustments and pushed the momentum back in his favor in order to get this win. And Sergey Morozov, I mean, I'll be excited to see him next time he's fighting. Like losing to DSDA this way, I don't think is a bad look if you if you're going to put on that kind of performance in the first round. Uh, and as I say, DSDA is just genuinely one of the more underrated fighters in the UFC. It's the oldest. Most shredded dude you've ever seen. He's fucking awesome. And so as I said, we're only going to be talking about a few fights from next week's card. Um, We really try to find stuff to say about as many matchups as possible, but this card is really stretching it. It's one where this was looking like a pretty fun action undercard for what was going to be a very meaningful main event. But now with uh, Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill in the main event. um, Jamal Hill is going to knock out Johnny Walker in the
0: first round. Cool. End of discussion.
1: Is there anything else to say?
0: I think think Jamal Hill has... I think he's going to do it in a very cool way. I don't think it's going to be bland. I, I think his urgency is going to be a problem for Walker, who in his last fight... Seemed really, really willing to just be patient and and try and be capital T technical and just stay on the outside and not really do much and just faint. But Jamal Hill's not going to do that. He's going to walk forward, probably fuck up Walker in the clinch if they get there, despite Walker being very strong. I think Jamal Hill is going to eat him up at range. And I think that if the fight goes to the ground, that Walker will have no advantages and probably get finished by or TKO'd. I think Jamal Hill can win the fight in many ways.
1: Yeah, I mean Johnny Walker. Um, people were really excited when he came into the UFC as just this explosion of unstructured meme violence. He, he had some had some great highlight reel finishes, um, but then he got uh, immediately pushed into the cage and knocked the fuck out by Corey Anderson, who is like absolutely the highest level fighter in the division. Who who johnny walker could conceivably have gotten with just an an explosion of insane meme violence and so since then he's been doing a tour of all of the hottest gyms from 2014 like his managers just heard faraz zahabi on the joe rogan podcast and he's like yo this guy's fucking smart like pack your bags johnny you're fucking going to canada he spends one camp there where, for all I can tell, Faraz was just trying to teach Johnny Walker jiu-jitsu because he doesn't know it, like, at all. And just had a, had a fight with Nikita Krilov where he just got easily outgrappled just doing a bunch of blue belt shit. And he's like, okay, well, that didn't work. Better go to a fucking SBG island. And then has the has the sloppiest, stupidest fight ever with Ryan Spann where they both get dropped multiple times and he ends up finishing Ryan Spann with like, Travis Brown hammer fists to the brainstem. And then he's like, well, yep yeah, I've, I've got it figured out now. And now he's just married a tiny Irish woman. He's just stuck in Ireland forever at SBG where they appear to have just instilled in him that... Um, in order to be technical, he needs to do nothing because everything he does is insane. So, he, as you say, he spent his last fight just f- scooting about on the outside, not really doing anything, j- just fainting a bunch, but having absolutely no idea of how to build off of anything that he was doing if he wasn't just throwing 720 flying knees. And Jamal Hill is just like a reasonably functional striker. He knows how to pressure and he's just going to bat Johnny Walker up and throw a bunch of punches at him, and he's going to die. That's that fight.
0: And if the fight goes long, Hill is definitely going to have a body attrition edge, and I don't think going to get tired. So I think it, it's, it's a really rough match for Walker, although I am hoping that Walker can kind of have a return to form with his violence idiot stuff, because that's his best chance of winning, is to just like do a bunch of violence.
1: And this is the only way he can win any fight. True. Like, he's not, he doesn't actually have like MMA skills uh, other than just other than
0: doing spinning shit and flying knees and getting a double collar tie on people that don't know how to defend a collar tie at that point.
1: So, main event, Kyle Dorcas and Jamie Pickett, middleweights, so they're going to do middleweight stuff. Uh, Parker Porter is going to beat the shit out of Alan Badu, the Black Samurai. Um, Jim Miller versus Nicholas Martyr. Jim Miller, of course, a uh, truly beloved all-time action fighter. He's 300 years old. He's fought 6,000 times, and he's at that point in his career. He's just fighting uh, contender series debutants. Enter Nicholas Mata.
0: A, a, a power puncher that doesn't seem to have very much variety or depth, but just based on Miller's age could be a problem. I think that Mata might knock him out, but it's pretty low percentage. And I think if Jim Miller gets it in any position that he wants it to on the ground or wants it to get to on the ground, that he'll win by submission. I'm going to say second round.
1: Most of his losses these days are him just not having the energy to grapple for three rounds. But he's still really dangerous and has still only actually been knocked out like twice in his whole career, both by incredibly dangerous finishes in Dan Hooker and Donald Cerrone. He's also been submittable but only by really good guys and yeah Nicholas Mota he kind of just like plods around waiting for people to enter punching range and then just like spams hooks doesn't have much of a kicking game and doesn't seem to want to grapple at all and has a couple of submission losses so fuck it Jim Miller submission round one
0: he can still do it I'm going to say RNC round two
1: I'm going to say guillotine in the first, like, three minutes. But also he might just get fucked up because he's old. Uh, Joaquin Buckley is fighting Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. This is kind of just a mirror match of just absurd explosive muscularity and muscular explosivity. They're both just huge power strikers, very aggressive. Al-Hassan more of a kicker. Uh, Buckley, a southpaw, does a lot of body punches. And yeah, they're both just going to like slag meet each other until one of them dies. Um, They typically only win or lose by Thunderous knockout. Buckley a little more prone to losing that way than Al-Hassan has been historically, but they both definitely have the power to put each other out. Um, I'd like to see Buckley win this one, but also I'm not going to be remotely surprised if Al-Hassan just sprints up to him and boots him in the head. But Al-Hassan seems to be more dependent on a first-round knockout, whereas Buckley can stay composed and carry his power late if he doesn't get knocked out. Uh, Gabriel Benitez fighting David Onama. Uh, Gabriel Benitez, someone who we talked about on the first episode, who unfortunately was pulled from his fight with TJ Brown last minute. And someone who I always like to see on a fight night card a uh, real real veteran of the UFC featherweight division, like always clearly been a very skilled guy and had some good wins, but just never quite had the dynamism to climb the top 15 and might be getting up there and age a little bit. He seems to be struggling a little bit to see the shots coming, which is somewhat troubling for a, a, a counter puncher with not tremendously deep defense, but yeah, he's a, he's a really fun Southpaw counter puncher with a great kicking game, kicks all levels. Dangerous with opportunistic submissions. Uh, he's fighting David Onama, who uh, fought Mason Jones in his first UFC fight, where there was just a clear experience differential. David Onama, someone who has gotten almost entirely first and second round finishes uh, in his career up to that point, and I believe only had about seven or eight fights. Whereas Mason Jones, a long time veteran and m- multiple weight class champion in Cage Warriors in the UK, he's just Tough as shit and a comprehensive, well-rounded fighter who was able to stand his ground in exchanges and take the power punches of David Onama while also having a face shifting threat to go to wrestling and put, put Onama in positions where he didn't have much of an idea what to do. I do think the experience of Gabriel Benitez should be enough to take this one for him, but him not quite having those same tools as Mason Jones and just the sheer physical durability at this point in his career could make it a little dicey.
0: Yeah, I think Onama has a good chance of winning by knockout in the first two rounds, but I, I would like to see Benitez able to actually hold in there. It's just we haven't seen him really get cracked by a big puncher in his last several fights, which is kind of worrying because with how his defense has been looking in his recent run, it's it's just hard to imagine him not getting like, sparked by someone that just is very fast and has kind of crafty shot selection.
1: Yeah, and he did get dropped by Billy Quarantillo and knocked out by Sadiq Yusuf. So there's some worry there, you know. Uh, David Onama, he's a pretty functional striker, Um, has decent mechanics on his shots and uh, just a decent sense of positioning. Like, when he gets people to the cage, he really keeps them there and tries to lock them down in checkmate positions to get really solid offense off. but I kind of think Bin, uh, Onama just needs a little more experience outside of the UFC. He just he doesn't have that many fights, and we saw what happened when someone who's just gotten a bunch of early finishes in the regional scene faces someone who's just a tough and a consummate professional and just kind of doesn't have the depth to win an extended fight.
0: So it should should be a good fight. Yeah, I think Onama can win the fight kind of consistently if he can keep Benitez on the fence and just maintain his range because a, a counterpuncher that has to close distance all the time is like it's it's always rough for a guy like Benitez who's getting up there. And as your reactions get slower, like you're you're just going to get less counters and less counters off the longer your career goes unless you make some adjustments. So I hope that Benitez has a bit of a return to form and looks fantastic, but I'm not anticipating it really. We got to talk about Jessica Rose Clark, Stephanie Egger. Uh, Jessica Rose Clark is very strong, seems physically imposing at the weight, but Stephanie Egger is tall. So that could make the striking look sloppy. And I think if anyone is enforcing the grappling, it's going to be Jessica Rose Clark. So I'm going to pick Jessica Rose Clark by decision.
1: Oh, yeah, particularly now that uh, Jessica Rose Clark is getting the scouting reports from sport killer Connor Rebush instructing her to lay and pray in all her fights. Yeah, Jessica Rose Clark is a fun fighter. I don't know much about Stephanie Eger, but I mean, Clark's probably going to beat the shit out of her. And yeah, that's probably all we're going to mention on this card. I'm sure there'll be some fun fights on this undercard, but really nothing that's not, not no names that are jumping out to me. Uh, the one championship title fight between John Lineker and Bibiano Fernandez that we previewed r- briefly last week didn't happen because John Lineker cannot make it to a fight. So I hope we get to talk about that fight one day if it actually happens. Uh, Jonathan Haggerty versus Monko Petch off of that card was just kind of a fucking banger though. You should go check that out. That's all I'm going to say about it. This was the Forbidden Technique podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this content and the other stuff that the fight side puts out, please consider supporting them on Patreon. There's a whole crazy list of tiers of benefits, starting with uh, access to just a huge library of really great analytical fight content. We'll catch you next week where we'll be recapping anything cool that happens on this week's Fight Night card and talking about next week's main event, a number one contenders match it would appear in the lightweight division between Benil Dariush and Islam Makachev should be a pretty interesting one we'll see you then peace out
0: goodbye